0: Uh, students, uh, I'm trying to think of announcements. Um, we'll start having a Wednesday night around the World Supper Club um, from five, starting at five o'clock on Wednesday nights. And we go to a different ethnic food restaurant every week. Last year, some of our highlights were we went to... Um, well, we did have a problem because one of our interns considered like Pizza Hut or Domino's like ethnic <laughs> food. She was a piggy eater. It's Helen Cumby. But we went to the Vietnamese restaurants, went to the Great Wall, which was authentic Chinese, we went to the silver coin, Indian food, Uh, what's that? that. Went to Da Vinci's for Italian, yeah, so anyhow, uh, and we haven't determined what we're going to study this summer, I'm kind of leaning towards the book of Daniel, but we can talk about that, I think it would be kind of fun, Mary Matthews and I studied the book of Daniel a couple weeks ago, it was great, (laughs) there (laughs) you (laughs) go, okay, so um, that's really all there is to share, I think. If, you, uh, if you're a leader, if you have a leadership position, we have a meeting at 3:45 today at Cranmer House. It will not take long. We know you have to study, so 3:45 to 4:30, pep talk, rah rah, so on and so forth. Okay, so let's pray and we'll get going. All right, dear God, thanks for your goodness, your loving kindness, and um, thank you that you care for us. And I, um, I thank you, God, that you include us in your mission. That our lives are meaningful. Um, that there's something to wake up for every morning. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us the significance of our lives uh, in light of your mission, that we could see our lives uh, in the big picture of your hope and desire to redeem the world. And so we love you, God. Trust you. Ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So this is uh, part three of uh, this series um, called The Mission of God. And basically, to give you a little bit of a review, of, of what we've been looking at is, you know, if you're in an English class and you have to read a book, if you have to read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird or The Count of Monte Cristo or The Awakening or whatever it may be, um, your teacher will say, "What are the themes in this book?" And so when we say themes, what what does that mean? High school student. A theme. Yeah, overall message, like main idea, point. That's great. And so the same thing is true with the Bible. Like when we read the Bible, we can see that there are major themes that go from beginning to end. When we look at the Bible as one collective narrative and unit. And so with that being said, it's like some of those themes, or um, what people call meta narrative, which means kind of like big, big picture story, big story. Some of those meta narratives are covenant. We can see that's a major theme throughout the Bible. Another one is kingdom. Um, how there's a, you know, a kingdom of Israel, and then Jesus comes and establishes the kingdom of God. And, then, um, and so with that being said, what we're looking at is what you would call a missiological or missional theme or meta narrative of the Bible. Like what is the mission in the Bible? What is the purpose? Because God has a purpose in the Bible. You see that from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. You see that completed and consummated at the very end in Revelation 21 and 22. And so we've been looking at the mission of God throughout the Bible. And the the big picture hope in that is that we can see, uh, you know, God's big story in the Bible, and we can see our lives as a part of that story. Because God intends to fulfill his mission through the lives of people. That's how he chooses to do it. Like, God could snap his fingers, he could make the world perfect, and it would be done with, right? But he has chosen... To work through people to work through the holy spirit and through the lives of people so with that being said that means that our lives have incredible significance and 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 so that there there's we are inherently made for a life of meaning for a life of purpose and um but we we find that purpose in the most inspiring um and uh you know at the the most depthful part of our hearts when we see the purpose in our life aligned with God's purpose that we see throughout redemptive history and we see in the Bible, so with that being said, um, this is the mission of God in one sentence. Uh, it is God desires for the entire world to be filled with people who know love, who know love and worship Him, as they living under God's rule, cultivate and enjoy His world as He originally intended it. So when we go to um, Genesis chapter one, when God makes the world and He makes man and He gives this mandate to Adam and Eve, God says, "It says God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female He created them." So a lot of you have probably heard the term, you know, that you're made in God's image. Um, but if if you were an original reader when the Book of Genesis was written. To be made in someone's image, that terminology was inherently linked to a king. A king had people who were who operated in his image, and so they were like vice regents or representatives of the king. And so they would have, the king would send them out into different parts of his territory, and they had the authority to kind of manage and rule and lead that part of his kingdom. And so when uh, when it says in Genesis one that we are made in God's image. That means that God has made us as like vice regents or kind of His representatives, um, to uh, you know to cultivate and be stewards of His creation. And but keep in mind when He does this, people are living. There's no sin, and they're already living under God's rule. They're living in communion and fellowship with God. So when we hear like for man to rule, that to us that might sound kind of scary, <laughs> or, or unchristian, but it's uh, uh, us ruling the world under God's rule. So anyhow, then he says, God bless them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So in this context, be fruitful and multiply means have children and um, and spread out and subdue and have dominion over the fish of the sea, so be good stewards of creation, all right? And so so you can see his desire is for the world to be filled with people who live under his rule and who enjoy and cultivate creation as he originally intended it. However, something happened uh, on the way to the Colosseum. Um, sin, right? This is, the, this is a picture of creation, fall, redemption, and glorification. And so because of sin, because of sin Genesis chapter 3, because there now is a broken relationship between God and man, the way that God goes about fulfilling this mission is different. Um, you know the original way was just just have children and and you know go out and take land and garden and you know enjoy one another and eat and so on and so forth well now there's sin so this desire to fill the world with people who live under god's rule takes on a different approach because people now inherently we we none of us inherently want to live under god's rule like we want to be our own king um, we want to live in our own image, not in the image of God. We we want to be our representatives, not God's representative. And so, with that being said, the primary story of the Bible um, is God fulfilling His mission by undoing the effects of the fall. All of the bad things in the world, whether that's violence, whether that's hatred, whether that's cancer, pollution, crime, drugs, addiction—all these things come. As a product of the fall. And God's desire is to redeem and heal all of these things which he ultimately does through Christ. And so last week we looked at God's pursuit of this mission through in the Old Testament. And God's intention in the Old Testament is to redeem the world through his people, Israel. And what's how and so basically Israel is meant, he gives them the law. He shows them, you know, how they're supposed to live. show them how they're supposed to worship him alone. How they're to love him. How they're to be kind to the poor. How they're to be just. How they're to look after the weak, like widows and orphans. How they're meant to be um, to care for to foreigners and immigrants who come into their land. And they were meant to be a light, a light of moral purity, a light of, of justice, of of kindness and compassion for the weak and the poor, um, and of and of uh, religious integrity they worshiped one god uh, the god of israel and how and so and and they were it was meant to be a centripetal mission by that we mean that israel was meant to draw all the nations of the world into worship of yahweh the god of the god of the old testament through their example as a as a holy priesthood how did israel do yeah they failed they did very poorly (laughs) if you read the old testament it's it's, you know, it's just like watching, so if you're like a Wake Forest football fan, that means you, know, you tune in every week and it's like you're just tuning in to watch us lose. Yeah, and, uh, and so it's kind of like being a Wake Forest fan. You just see failure after failure after failure after failure. There's a success here and there when you play like a Division II opponent, but, um, but for the most part it's just a story of perpetual failure. And so, um, so, with that being said, what you have towards the end uh, of the Old Testament is you have the prophets. And the prophets are both communicating to Israel, Israel, you, this is what you're supposed to be doing, and you're not. Like, you're failing. You're blowing it. But one's going to come who's going to do what you're not able to accomplish. And the one they're pointing to is Jesus. They're pointing to a Messiah who's going to come and who's going to be successful at bringing all the nations to the worship of Yahweh, to the service of Yahweh, into you know moral purity, into um, care for the poor, so on and so forth. And it's Jesus who's going to accomplish what Israel could not. And so that's where we're going to start today. Is we're going to um, talk about the New Testament and how Jesus does what Israel was not able to do, and how Jesus uh, is going. Jesus has and will continue to fulfill God's mission. And so I'm going to let Bethany is going to kind of uh, intro, and I'll just yeah. Here, you want to hold this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And I would let you hold this, too. Otherwise, I'm going to have to stand right next to you. So yeah, that might be yeah.
1: awkward. Um, okay, so when we look at Colossians one nineteen through 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Um, when we look at this, we see, I'm going to point out just a couple of things. So the fullness of God. So the fullness, um, if we look at that word, in him who is Jesus, there is no deficiency. So all of the things that were broken by sin, that the law couldn't fix, that Israel failed in redeeming, it's pointing to Jesus who is not just a prophet, but is also God. Um, and so this incarnation, this um, this pointing to Jesus, is reminding them that all the ways that we failed, this one is not going to fail. There's no deficiency. He's the absolute fullness. Um, and last week, we're going to go back to... Um, The chart. Do you remember the chart that we talked about? Who was here last week? Okay. Um, So we talked about the chart of broken relationships, which is another um, way that we talk about poverty um, and the need for reconciliation in all of those relationships. And at the end, we'll go back to that chart and talk practically. No, that's okay. We'll come back to it later. But so keep that in mind as we go forward. That all of these broken relationships between us and God, between us and the way we view ourselves, between us and others, our neighbor, and us and creation. Um, that all of those relationships which are broken in the midst of systems that are broken, economic systems and religious systems, um, that in the midst of all of that brokenness, we have this promise of Jesus, who is the fullness of God, who's coming to reconcile to himself all things. Um, and, and basically bringing together this idea of, um, of heaven on earth um, that we talk about in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. Um, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so it's this idea of jesus restoring things in the way that god originally intended um and why and how does he do this how does it end y'all can read i know what what are the last four words by the blood of his cross and that's how jesus does this so his his restoration his reconciliation is brought together by him making peace through the blood of his cross. Um, and that's what we have. That's what Israel could not do, uh, is that they could not atone um, for all that was broken. Um, and so we needed Jesus, who is the fullness of God.
0: You're up, yeah. All right, so we have uh, four four main points today. Um, I, by the way, when someone says they have four main points, that probably means they have too much material. Um, but hey, sorry <laughs> okay so but the first point's really going to be pretty simple um, God ultimately accomplishes his mission through Christ that's the first point Jesus is able to do by, you know, and this is why it's important that Jesus was God um, Jesus was able to live a perfect life because he was God he was fully man he was fully man but Jesus did not have an inherent sin nature um, he had a, a totally neutral free will um, because he was conceived by God. God was his father, but his mother was Mary. He's fully, fully human and fully divine. And this enables Jesus to live the life that Adam and Eve couldn't live, to live the life that Israel is not able to live. Okay, So God ultimately accomplishes mission through Christ. Secondly, the kingdom of God is the primary motif or kind of like image uh, in the New Testament that demonstrates the progression and completion of God's purpose. You're giving, getting confused looks here, but I promise I'll make that look more clear. And then number three, the church, working through the Holy Spirit, the gospel, and the means of grace is the fundamental body through which God furthers his kingdom. And then finally, the fundamental concrete mechanism for expanding God's kingdom is making disciples who multiply through evangelism and discipleship and work to do to undo the effects of the fall. All right, so point number one. The kingdom of God is the primary motive. And by the way, I think we covered point number one. Jesus does what no one else could do. Boom. Check. <laughs> All right. So point number two then is the kingdom of God is the primary motif in the New Testament that demonstrates the progression of God and completion of God's purpose. Okay? So when Jesus comes, um, he says he says that he has come to bring the kingdom of God. And you see here, this is Mark chapter one. This is right at the beginning. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus uh, says, Now after John was arrested, John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he is saying that something, something that has been promised in the Old Testament, something new has come, and that is the kingdom of God. And and so God himself has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to rule as king and to expand his rule. And so Jesus says, repent, which means turn away from your self-rule. Turn away from you being your own king and acknowledge me as king and follow and obey and love me as king. And oh, by the way, I'm a good king. I'm a, I'm a kind king who's come... Who lives amongst you? Who's in the trenches with you? Who's poor? Um, who heals the poor? Heals the sick. Takes care of the poor, and um, and who is good and kind? And so, so the think about this. You know, we initially said the purpose of God was to fill the earth with, um, you know, fill the earth with people who live under His rule. Well, when Jesus comes, it's like a reestablishment of that, and Jesus is coming to expand his rule over the earth by leading people to be under his rule again and so it's it's a it's a it's a thing where it's not he doesn't just come and boom the whole kingdom is there it's something where yes his kingdom comes but his kingdom grows like his rule increases throughout the world all right and so what you'll see is immediately after jesus declares that the kingdom of god is here the first thing he does is what calls disciples. So he calls individual people to follow him. It says, someone want to read this for me? Miss King, would you mind reading this? Or if you can see it, right here.
1: Um, Casting alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their
0: father Zebedee in the boat with the higher servants and him. Okay. So, you know, when we're talking about the kingdom coming, like this is like very abstract. It's very kind of like spiritual, metaphysical, so on and so forth. Right? It's not something you can like see and touch and feel, right? Well, he immediately goes into the work of calling individual people to follow him and so it gets very practical right off the bat and so the thing that he says like what is it that he says what's the kind of the central verb here the thing that the disciples do in response to jesus calling yeah they follow him good jim and so that that suggests that if they're following jesus that means that they are now under the rule of god they're on they're no longer their own king jesus is now their king And so with that being said, that's the first thing he does after declaring the arrival of his kingdom and the establishment of his kingdom is calling individual people to follow him. So then you see the next things that he does, the next stories in Mark, and I'm not going to read all these, but then there's a story about how Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit, and then how Jesus heals many people, and then Jesus cleanses a leper. And you see all these kind of pictures. And here's the thing, what you see is Y- yes, the concrete mechanism, the first thing that Jesus does is he calls people to follow him. But what he is also trying to do here, like, what, what's the common theme here? He- healing a man who ha- who's, like, possessed by a demon, uh, healing people who have physical illnesses, healing someone who's a leper. Like, all of those conditions, where do they come from? Like, are, were those conditions there before sin, before the fall? Will those conditions be there in heaven? No. These are all a, a, a product of the fall. I'm not saying that means these people individually sinned, and because they did, they've been punished and struck down with this. I'm just saying every bad thing in the world has come because of this broken relationship between man and God. And all the bad things in the world just flow out of that. And so what you see here, what's going on here? Like, How does it connect to the mission of God that Jesus is healing, healing people, and you know, releasing people from demonic possession and so on and so forth. What, what is he doing? What is he, how, how does this demonstrate the mission of God? Yes, he's restoring. He's undoing the, effect, the, the effects of the fall. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, basically, he is pulling the existence of heaven into the earth. So when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is trying to make the world, which is a broken place, more like heaven. That's so, so if we were going to break down what, what, is it, what does it mean that Jesus has established his kingdom and he's building his kingdom, it means that Jesus is first off bringing people um, under his rule, that they're following Jesus as king, and he's undoing the effects of the fall. He's restoring everything that was broken by sin. And so, with that being said, the I'm gonna I'm just gonna glance over this. But but you see here, this is Philippians chapter two, and it's kind of basically looking at the end of the kingdom, like the the bottom line point. Um, it's it basically Paul talks about how Jesus came and Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And it says, therefore, like the point of Jesus' perfect, his life, death, and resurrection, the point is, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we wanted to translate that, Uh, If we can also translate, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is King. That's Lord and King are pretty much synonymous uh, in terms of of the, gosh, what's my word? In, In terms of the translation of the Greek, to the glory of God the Father. So basically, what we saw here in this little story about Jesus establishing the kingdom, Jesus healing people, Jesus bringing people to follow him, he intends to expand throughout the entire world. To the end that, when we look at the second coming of Christ in Revelation, and this is one. Of, this is the first mention of the second coming in Revelation 7, it says, after, lo- after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb? So this is the, the the picture of the completion of the kingdom, and it's people from every nation proclaiming that God is on the throne, that, that God is King, and loving and worshiping Him. Okay, so there you have. There's the kingdom. So now, second point. Too much material. The church, working through the Holy Spirit, the gospel and the means of grace, is the fundamental body through which this occurs. So the expansion of God's kingdom is primarily an ordinary means carried out through the church. Okay, and so there's you know when we're talking about the church, defining that um, is is um, is complicated because it has a lot of different meanings. When we're talking about the church, we could be talking about this local church. When we're talking about the church, we could be talking about like institutions like the Methodist Church or the Catholic Church or the Baptist Church or the Presbyterian Church. Um, we could be talking about the church as like all Christians throughout the world as one body, and 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 the answer is like which one are you talking about? Well, kind of all of them, kind of all of them. But I would say in most practical terms, probably local local congregations. And so here's what you see is is like. Um, do people come under God's rule outside of the life of a church? Sure, absolutely. Do people grow as disciples outside, you know, the community of other Christians, outside of Bible studies, outside of corporate worship? Um, Sure, that happens. Um, Do people, like, live a life of mission without equipping from the church, like, without learning how to pray for people or learning how to pastor to people in grief or learning how to care for the poor or things like that or going on mission trips or things with the church sure that happens but ordinarily most commonly the mission most people grow through the life of the church and so that's kind of the normal that's the normal mechanism and so with that being said you see, like, in the New Testament, you see the kind of, in the book of Acts, which is the after Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit has come down, you see the first thing they really are doing is going out, sharing the gospel with people, and planting churches. Church bodies through which people can have community, people can come together and hear God's word, people can take the sacrament, they can pray together, and in an organized fashion, they can delegate people to care for the poor and the widows and so on and so forth. And so the primary vehicle through which God carries out his mission in the New Testament is through local churches and through you know christians working together and so here's the thing it's interesting why is it that god will prevail through the church when there was failure through israel because israel you know israel in the old testament is god's people the church in the new testament is god's people have have we as human beings really changed much we're not we're not any better not any better or worse than the people in the old testament right we're still just as sinful we still struggle and fail just as much, and so, um, so that being said, like why is it that the church will prevail? And the reason is, first off, is that Jesus is the head of the church. Like if you look back at church history, <laughs> um, you just see like there, you know, the church has done more good than bad. But I mean, it is very, very humbling and a lot of times really embarrassing to see different ways that Christianity has, you know, committed injustices, has wronged people, has gotten totally off the track. And so, what you see, though, is the church has continued to survive. I mean, you know, it's it's actually you know there are three hundred million new Christians just this century. Um, there are like one point four billion Christians throughout the world, and the church is it's gr- the greatest expansion of the church ever was in the last one hundred years, and in Latin America and Africa and Asia. The church is growing like wildfire in places like China. Um, and, 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 uh, and Iran and places like that, So and particularly throughout all of Africa. So with that being said, the reason is because Jesus is the head of the church. Um, and because he's the head of the church, like, it, it will prevail. It, he like, completely compensates for our human failures. Secondly, um, Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection what, no, what Israel and no person could ever accomplish. Like Jesus has lived perfectly. Jesus defeated sin and death. Jesus uh, defeated all of the, you know, uh, all of the authorities and, and principalities of darkness, and so on and so forth. Third thing, we have received the Holy Spirit. Um, we've received the Holy Spirit. Uh, so basically the same way that David and the prophets, the kings and the prophets and the priests had the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, like we all believers receive the Holy Spirit in that way when they come in and rela- into relationship with Christ. So we have the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is a huge deal. And then finally we have the full revelation of God's will, purpose and work through Jesus. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament and we have Jesus who's the, the most the ultimate revelation of God. So that that just enables that just gives us a more clear picture than what the people in the Old Testament had. So last thing and that is the fundamental concrete mechanism for expanding God's kingdom is making disciples who make other disciples through evangelism and discipleship and work to undo the effects of the fall. So kind of the mission statement of the New Testament is what you call the Great Commission. It's kind of funny. I grew up uh, Baptist, and like this was—you you, talked—you this came out of your Sunday school teacher's mouth or the preacher's mouth every single Sunday. The Great Commission was like hammered into you. Anybody else here who grew up Baptist? And it's so funny. I like assumed that everybody knew what the Great Commission was, and then I asked a class, and not that many people knew. I was like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> That's right. Not everyone grew up Baptist. Anyhow. But this is the last thing that Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. This is kind of the marching orders that he gives to his disciples. And he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right? And so here's the thing that's interesting. It's when we break down the Greek of this command, the governing verb of the Great Commission is make disciples of all nations. That's the imperative. So if you were translating it literally, you'd say make disciples of all nations, going into all the world, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so so with that being said, the primary thing is make disciples of all nations. So making disciples means um, helping people follow Jesus, helping people know what it means to follow Jesus as their savior and as their king, to live under his rule. And so then he, um, then Jesus gives these kind of three categories or components of making disciples. Um, going into all, sorry, hold on a one. Going into all the world. So this is, you know, in terms of global ministry, in terms of a concern for all nations, this is very much at the heart of it. So going into all the world. Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. We'll talk about that in a second. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's the promise, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Like, basically, like, hey, we know you're going to, I, you're, this, you know, when you hear this, you can feel a lot of pressure. Like, oh my goodness, the fate of the world is on my shoulders, right? And Jesus first says, No, 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 all authority has been given to me. Like, I'm the king, okay? That's the first comfort. And the second comfort is, as you do this, like, I am with you to the end of the age, like, until I come again. So, like, you're not alone. So that, that's these these kind of promises of grace and comfort as we you know participate in God's God's mission. And so, what did, what do these three things mean? Um, first, uh, you know, the primary function is to make mature followers of Jesus who have a ministry in their life, who are undoing the effects of the fall in their own life, and helping other people live under the rule of Jesus. How Well, we go and pursue relationships with people? Like, Christ- the New Testament is what you call centrifugal. Like, we're going out. The Old Testament was centripetal. We're meant to draw people in. The New Testament is both. Like We're meant to be a witness to people. We're meant to attract people to God by our lives. But also, we're meant to go. We're meant to go and pursue people, pursue ministry, be intentional about undoing the effects of the fall. Secondly, instruct them in how to follow Jesus by teaching them all of God's word. He says, by teaching them to obey all that I command. Basically, like God's word, all of the Bible, is... God's way of showing us how to live in relationship with him, telling us who he is, who we are, how we connect with him. And so, so you know, Bible-based, the, the Bible is central in this. And then finally, when it says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there's a sacramental part of that, like we do want to baptize people. But the long-term, the long-game view of that is bringing them into, um, bringing them into the life of the church, like into Christian community. Um, because you're baptized into a church, that's like an initiation into um, the you know the covenant community, into the community of, of, of believers. And so, not only are you baptizing them, but you're bringing them into Christian community because you just don't really. It's very hard to like grow as a follower of Jesus, to mature as a follower of Jesus, or, uh, to mature as a follower of Jesus by yourself. Like you're meant to do it in community. That's why when you if you when you go to college or go out into the real world. Like just kind of like watching us listen to a sermon in your dorm room, is not. It's just not really sufficient. Like you need to find Christian community um, and be a part of a church, or be a part of a small group things like that. And so finally, you keep on going. Oh, and so yeah, and so the going back, and I'll, I'll let you take it from here. We've gotten very concrete in talking about how people are meant to follow. Sorry, people. Sorry, take a step back here. In our sin, we people naturally do not want to live under God's rule. We want to do our own thing. And that is the essence of sin. All of the bad things in the world come out of us wanting to be our own Savior and Lord. And so, undoing the effects of the fall starts with leading people under the rule of Jesus. And then, from there, as people live under the rule of Jesus, things like, Wow, there's a widow who lives on my street who can't drive her car. Maybe I should go and talk to her about can we help you with your groceries or can I cut your grass? Or uh, I have a friend who's, you know, who's in prison or a friend who's in addiction. Like I need to go visit them. Or my grandmother lives in a nursing home. I'm going to go spend time with her. Or, uh, you know, I, there's, a, you live in a, there's a poor area of town and there's garbage all over the place and you go and clean up the garbage so it doesn't look so polluted. Like, all these are examples of people in their life undoing the effects of the fall. But that, the starting point for that is living day to day under the rule of Jesus. And he leads us. He gives us a heart to do those things. He gives us grace to do those things. He gives us the ability and the wisdom to do those things. And so, um, so and so forth. You. The last slide. I think I so. I think so. Oh, sorry. I'm about to You mean, don't
1: need don't my do iPhone? Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so as I, as I mentioned before, this is okay. the the reconciliation chart that's from When Helping Hurts, which is what I call the gold nugget of When Helping Hurts. Um, raise your hand if you've seen this chart before. I like a lot of hand raising. Okay. Um, and so one of the things that I would love as our final point is in... in in Christ calling us to be a part of this work of reconciliation, the responsibility lies fully on Christ. And yet he calls us into a role. And so that's what the the past um, this whole three class session on the mission of God really points us to is that God is using us as his church um, to be a part of his restorative work. And so as we go out into the world, um, one of the most practical things that we can do is remember that we are we are in this brokenness. And so it is not us and them. It is not us that have it all together, that have the light of Christ living in us. And so everything is perfect. I think we can all think in ways that we have broken relationships here. And so it's recognizing with great humility um, that we are part of this broken system and that Christ longs to bring us into full restoration um, with God, with ourself, with others, and with all of creation. Um, But that hasn't happened yet. And so we lean into this promise that all things will be made new. Um, And so I'd like for you, we've got, you know, 30 seconds left. Um, Think through in your own life. Okay, good. Um, Think through in your own life the brokenness that you see or that you see in the life of someone that's a friend of yours. It doesn't have to look like something as huge as, you know, cancer or divorce or death. It can be tiny ways, you know, not feeling like you have worth or seeing your friends that feel like they're not good enough or someone who puts all of their identity in their work or someone that just can't you know, find a good break for a job. Um, There are lots of ways that we see brokenness around us. And one of the best things that we can pray for is to have a heart of compassion, to be able to notice the suffering of those that are around us. And then again, as Cameron mentioned, And the reason that we can trust this is because God has not left us to our own devices, that we have the empowering of the Holy Spirit that sends us out into the world. Um, And so the last thing that I'll say is um, it's so important for us to have this global mindset that that Christ is Lord of all nations, but he's also Lord of exactly where we are, Um, that where we are in our schools, in this building, um, that Christ is Lord of that too. And so we don't have to go. All the way to Nicaragua, although it's a great opportunity to be able to see how God is at work amongst the people there. Um, but in everything that we do in our day-to-day life, whether it's going to school or being in our family context, um, that we're called to be a part of this reconciliation work wherever we are. It's not something that these People of great faith that have been called to missions um, have this special calling. This is a calling that God gives to every Christian. Uh, And so that I hope is something that's encouraging to you. Um, It's a humbling thing to recognize that even us in our brokenness are called to reach out and minister to those who are also broken. Um, But it's also a beautiful thing um, that we are invited to have the great joy that comes um, from participating in God's process of reconciliation. So thank you all for being here.